Shalom, Mishpocha. Welcome to this week's Kadima Broadcast, Awareness and Relevance. Listen, we're in a very chaotic, tumultuous, vitriolic world today. And we must have great discernment. We must be intuitive. We must be relevant in this world, uh, or we're going to be sidelined. The Word of God, the Kingdom of God, Adonai is the same today as it was yesterday, as it will be tomorrow. God's Word isn't evolving. Scriptures aren't adapting to our corrupted morality and society. We are to conform to the Word of God. And I want to pause here because as, as we move forward, we're going to need unity between the Messianic Kingdom and the Church. Great days of oppression and religious persecution are on the horizon. And we can't do it ourselves. And we also need this generation to generation. We need Lador Vador. We need to rally our troops and everyone come together in a common front, in a common unified voice. You know, I want to share for, for the young generation, we, we need your passion. We need your fire. But you can't have that alone without the wisdom of the gray hairs to keep that fire from becoming wildfire. Because wildfire consumes, it rages out of control. Yet on the other hand, the older generation, you know, we tend to be a little less passionate, a little less fiery. So we need the two together that we have, you know, fire boundaries, but yet burn brightly for the kingdom of God. But I need to reiterate this, not wildfire. Fire without wisdom becomes wildfire. And so we've got to work in this together to be one and see the transformation that we need to see not only in our nation here in America, but to see revival in the land of Israel, that we would hear our people say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. You know, as we move forward, we've got several concerns here. Christianity and Messianic Judaism is or should be based upon the Word of God and acceptance of Yeshua as the Messiah. Listen, we know there's semantics and there's word terminologies, but we're geared towards bringing the Messiah to our people. So in the original intent of its authors— we slew towards the biblical culture that allows Yeshua Messiah to be recognized by our people. There's been identity theft here. We, we've talked about this. It's going back to the future. And so the word, no matter who's preaching, it should be based upon the word of God and acceptance of Yeshua, Jesus as the Messiah. Not on doctrine, not on religion, not the Talmud, not oral traditions or any other distortion of the word of God. Salvation is only through the blood of Yeshua. We're not saved by grace. Grace is that Yeshua did it while I was yet in sin. But the writer of Hebrews is, is very specific. There's no forgiveness of sin without blood. This is also in Leviticus 17, 11, one of my favorite scriptures. And so we see how the, the teaching of the word has become polarized, has strayed from the truth. There's been apostasy in the word itself and how it's presented. You're not saved by grace. You're saved by the sacrificial blood of Yeshua. It's the blood that washes away sins to be known no more, not grace. We accept and receive Yeshua as our atonement sacrifice for sin. He's the only way into the Father for Jew and Gentile alike. Religion in any form or format is never relevant. Only the word in the kingdom of God through Yeshua is. And so we see that the recent uprise of anti-Semitism. We see the rise of the cancel culture that we're surrounded in today, the political correctness, that there's an attempt to silence the voice of those that aren't in agreement with certain narratives and, and certain political parties or leanings or whatever you want to call it. 
but listen, Scripture contains the answer for every question, for every life decision, for every scenario and aspect of our life, from family relations to marriage to your finances, from raising children to conflict resolution, to business practices, morality, ethics, to the prophetic future of what your role and part of that is as a child of God. It's all in the Word. Everything that we do, all of our actions, all of our deeds, all of our statements, what we say, must reconcile to the Word of God. Not religion, not doctrine, not what's politically uh, uh, correct, and not what's popular. That's another thing. Yeshua wasn't popular. Let me say that again. Yeshua wasn't popular. In fact, many of his disciples turned away from him, as we read in John when he's sharing that as a sacrifice, we have to partake of him. This is right from Leviticus. And he wasn't saying you literally have to eat me, but he says his body, his blood is representation of that sacrifice. And we do the implements in in, uh, memory of him, of that act that he did for us. But many of his disciples turned away from him that day. And listen, this always amazed me. He, he didn't chase after them. He said, oh, guys, listen, you know, you just didn't understand. We had a little communication problem. He let them go. And we're in that day and age today where there's very little gray area. And, and this is why I say continuously that I believe we're coming to the end of time, that we're in, in the preparation season, the birth pangs, the beginning seasons of the return of the kingdom of God here because what's dark is really dark. What's light is really light. And, and we're, we're eliminating that kind of hazy gray middle that, that for thousands of years humanity lived in. That's disappearing and things are becoming uh, very divided. That's in preparation for the return of Yeshua and his kingdom upon this earth. So this is why we have to have great intuition in these end days. We have to have great discernment and understand and see the signs around us and see if those things reconcile to Scripture. We don't make Scripture fit our surroundings and atmosphere, but we take what we see, we take what we hear, we take what is happening in the world around us, and then reconcile this to Scripture to see where we're at in God's timeline. Now, Israel, obviously, in God's calendar is the key figure in this, but we interpret things with a biblical worldview, not through the eyes of world leadership or political parties, but with a biblical worldview. What does God say about these things? And so because of this, and this is why this is so critical, because this was a USA Today, uh, the, the newspaper. Some of you don't even know what newspapers are, and very few read them anymore. But there was a time when, there, when we didn't get things from social media and Facebook and Instagram. We got them from news sources and we would read the newspaper, or there was a national newspaper. It's still printed today. It's called USA Today. And over 20 years ago, they published on the front page of this newspaper, it says that the church is no longer able to influence society. You know, that's hard to hear. That, that strikes right in the heart. But it's true. And, and, and what does that mean? It, it means that it's no longer relevant to greater society. Why is that? Well, first of all, relevance doesn't exist in religion. Religion is focused upon itself. And second of all, by burying ourselves in this religious encampment or religious fortress, we're no longer paying attention to what's happening in the world around us. And many false theologies that are taught today and espoused contribute to this. But we need to be engaged in the world around us 
and we need to speak the truth of God's word into it. But it has to be done empowered in truth. It has to be relevant. A perfect example of this is post 9-11. If you can remember that far back. Barna's, which is a Christian statistic company, revealed that almost 90%, if not more, of the messages given in the first two weeks after that traumatic 9-11 event, and everyone who was alive there, that was our generation's Pearl Harbor moment. Everyone with great detail can say exactly where they were at, what they were doing when they first got that news, and uh, and, and it's it was a rally cry for a generation. It was God speaking to us. A word fell upon us. And here we are 20 years later, still not paying attention. Can you believe this is 2021, 20 years ago, 9-11? And yet, in the first two weeks after that traumatic, horrific event, 90, over 90% of pulpits, of congregations, Messianic synagogues, churches, let's not get into semantics here, those who are preaching the word of God did not speak to that event. They never mentioned it. They just went on with business as usual. It's this week's... Parsha is, is it's the teaching I developed four weeks ago. It's not relevant to what's happening in our world today. This is a horrible revelation in the greater body. It's still happening today. Back then, people were scared, confused, or looking for answers. They couldn't find them in most houses of God. I would tell you that our situation today is even worse. We've got a divided nation. We've got riots, we've got anarchy, we've got communists and socialists and Antifa that are breaking into buildings using hatchets and and machetes, and we have a group of people in this nation that say we are ungovernable. We've got COVID pandemics, we've got vaccines that are making people sick and killing people. We don't even know if these things work or not. I'm not a pro or anti-vaccinator. I just don't believe there's enough information out there yet what the long-term effects of this thing's going to be. It's even worse today than it was 20 years ago on 9-11. Huh. Yet most people can't find today, like back then, heavenly guidance and revelation from the clergy, from those reciting God's word, from pastors, from uh, Messianic rabbis. Huh. There must be an awareness of who and what we are, both as individuals in the greater body of Messiah and what's happening around us and how that reconciles to God's word to be relevant. Our relationship, our interaction, our expression of worship, ministering to Adonai, this isn't based upon feelings or emotions. This is another dangerous area because we want to start intertwining God's word with our emotions, with what we think, our own personal narrative. But we're serving a God who is our king, and we live in a theocracy. In a theocracy, The king issues edicts, and the subjects follow them. We don't get to vote on whether we like this or not, or I agree with it or don't disagree with. If you're serving the king, you'll be a loyal subject and follow the edicts of the king. It's not based upon your feelings or what we think about it or our emotions or what's politically correct or what's popular around us or what everyone else is doing. It's based upon covenant relationship with the Most High God. Every human being, every life will have their own unique moment of awareness that Adonai is God and there's no other. For some people, it happens in their lifetime. For some people, it it happens just before they pass away. For some people, that awareness will come on judgment day and it will be too late. When that shofar sounds and Yeshua returns, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, regardless 
if you're an atheist, if you're a believer, if you're Buddhist, if you're Muslim, it doesn't matter who you are. When that shofar sounds, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Yeshua is Lord. Your surroundings don't change your awareness. God profoundly gives us moments of awareness in our lives to create supernatural awareness of who he is. That's why these moments in his word are so powerful. We're commanded to be aware of who he is. Psalms 100 verse 3 says, Be aware, yada in Hebrew, to know, to perceive, to realize, to find out, to discern, to recognize, to admit, become known, to be revealed that Adonai is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the flock in his pasture. God uses all things in his creation to create an awareness of who he is. And and listen to this. This is why this is so powerful and prevalent and topical for us today. Get this, it's relevant. The 10 plagues wrought against Egypt while we were in slavery brought awareness of who God was to both Israel and Egypt. Hey, listen, he calls Egypt my beloved. Why did he give Pharaoh a hardened heart? Because he was bringing revelation of the true God the true creator, not just to Israel to redeem us from slavery, but to bring awareness to Egypt and all the nations of the earth. In fact, who left Egypt? But a mixed crowd. Not only our people, but those who were aware and said, yes, God is God. And they came with us. The 10 plagues that brought judgment upon Egypt and Egypt's gods were the deliverance and the salvation to us and those who were aware of what was happening and followed the living God of Israel. The prophet Elijah boldly challenges and confronts Jezebel and her priests, which socially perfectly parallels our own culture and society today in America. Elijah challenged the status quo. Hey, listen, Jezebel, King Ahab, they were the biblical cancel culture people. They tried to silence him. They called him the troubler of Israel. They didn't like him. Why is that? Because he challenged and confronts Jezebel and her priests publicly and socially. He did it in such a manner that there's nothing they could say to him. They wanted to shut him down so profoundly, but they could not. Why? Because he was in a covenant relationship with God, and he spoke the word of God in power and in truth. He habitually challenged the status quo. Baal and Asherah worship were the norm. It was commonplace throughout Israel. This is the northern kingdom now, not Judah, but the northern kingdom. Everybody was doing it. Again, parallels where we're at today. It was hip. It was chick. It was bougie. It was popular. It was mainstream. Problem is, it was wicked and evil. It was direct disobedience to God, a rebellion, a profane stench in the nostrils of Adonai. Elijah boldly called the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah to a challenge on Mount Carmel. Elijah issues the call. In 1 Kings 21, Eliyahu stepped forward before all the people and said, how long are you going to jump back and forth between two positions? If Adonai is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Elijah was challenging the peoples of God. This is the issue in its simplest form. Anything you serve other than Adonai, it's an idol. It's a God. It's something that comes between you and Adonai. 
For some, it's sports. For others, it's hobbies. Some, it's pornography. Others, it's golden calves of ministry. Still others, it's the internet. Some, it's gambling. Some, it's money and wealth. Others, it's fame and power. Some, it's the sins of the flesh and carnality. It's sexual immorality, sexual perversions, many other addictions. Yet, others, it's false religion. The list go on and on, but the effect is the same. Nothing new under the sun. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal in two altars and two bulls sacrificed, one for Baal and one for Adonai. Then Elijah said in 1 Kings 18, verse 24, he said, Then you, to the priests of Baal and Asherah, you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Adonai. And the God who answers with fire, let him be God. And all the people answered, good idea, agreed. You know, this, this takes me to Shavuot 2,000 years ago and that upper room encounter 50 days after Yeshua was crucified. And as the Ruach fell like thunder in that upper room and everything was violently shaken, they streamed out of that room. And what was on top of their heads? What looked like licks of flame of fire. Hmm. God answers in fire. So they begin, the prophets of Baal, they chant, they cut themselves, they cry out to Baal all day long. And guess what happens? Nothing. In the meantime, Elijah, he taunts them. He even mocks them. He says, you know, maybe your God is on vacation. Uh, maybe he's on the potty. He's taunting them all day. Such boldness. He trusted in his God. He knew who he served. And as the time approached for the evening sacrifices, Elijah commands both altars be completely drenched with water. They were soaked, sitting literally in ponds of water. Barrel after barrel of water was brought into this thing and drenched with a trench drug around, dug around both altars. And in verse 36 of 1 Kings 18, then when it came time for offering the evening sacrifice, Eliyahu the prophet approached and said, Adonai, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant, and I've done all these things at your word. Help me, Adonai, hear me, so these people may know. The same word we read in Psalms, yada, to know, to perceive, to realize, to admit, to be aware of, that these people may know that you, Adonai, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back to you. Then the fire of Adonai fell. It consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Adonai is God. Adonai is God. They were now supernaturally aware of Adonai, of who he was and who he is. And we see these examples throughout the Word, throughout Scripture. A young King Josiah sought after the Lord with all of his heart. He sought to restore worship, to restore the feast, God's calendar, beginning with Pesach. He has a moment of great awareness. When he sends the priests in to clean out the temple and get it ready, a Torah was found. The priest cleaning the temple brings it to the king and reads it to him. At 2 Kings 22, starting at verse 10, Shaphan, the secretary, also told the king, Hilkiah, the Kohen Hakadol, gave me a scroll. Then Shaphan read it out loud before the king. And after the king had heard what was written in that scroll of the Torah, he tore his clothes. Josiah had become convicted by the word. 
His divine awareness of who Adonai is through the reading of the word brought him into great fear of the Lord, so much so that he himself, the king, tore his clothes. He repents and brings the nation back to God. We see the same event happening in Nehemiah 8 when post-exilic Judah finds the Torah scroll of Adonai in the rubble of the temple. Ezra calls all the people together in one place, and they begin reading the word to everyone. And in Nehemiah 8, verse 9, the people were weeping when they heard the word of God. They had a moment of awareness after 70 years of exile. Job 2, he had an awareness after all the suffering. He says in Job 42, verse 5, he said, I'd heard about you with my ears. He Remember, he, you know, when his children had a party, he would sacrifice in case one of them sinned. He was aware. He, he had heard about God. But now in Job 42, verse 5, he said, I'd heard about you with my ears, but now my eyes see. Ra'ah in the Hebrew, which means to see, to regard, to learn, to observe, to look upon, to find out, to discern you. He said, now my eyes see you. I discern you. I know you. He'd heard of God previously, but now he's aware of him. He knows Adonai firsthand. There are so many more examples, but one more I wish to share is one that I mentioned uh, previously in Luke chapter 5. Peter, Simon Peter, Kepha, had finished all night fishing with no success. Yeshua climbs into Kepha's, Kepha's boat and tells him to go back out and let down his nets. Now, if anybody who fishes know, the, the better fishing is always in the evening. It's always better. But they've been doing it all night long, no success. And, he, and Yeshua tells Peter, go back out and let down your nets. Peter is a little skeptical, and he tells Yeshua he's worked hard all night without success. But in verse 5, he says, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And in Luke 5, verse 6, they did this and took in so many fish that their nets began to tear. So they motioned to their partners in verse 7 and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats to the point of sinking. And when he saw this, Simon Peter fell at Yeshua's knees and said, get away from me, sir, because I'm a sinner. Verse 9, for astonishment had seized him. Peri-echo thambos in the Greek. Peri-echo is to take possession of, to seize, to hold fast, to keep, to regard, or consider. Thambos is dumbfounded, astonishment, amazed, astonished wonder. And so th there's a brutal awareness now of who he is standing before. And in the face of this miracle, all of a sudden Peter's sins confront him as he's standing before the Son of God. Verse 9, for astonishment had seized him, everyone with him at the catch of fish they had taken. A sudden supernatural awareness had come upon Peter when he became aware of exactly who he was with. The truth, the power of God's presence had invaded their lives. This same awareness, when it invades our own reality, our own circumstances, our own hearts, when we're invaded, when we're circumcised with his word, we can then serve him in power and in truth. Every biblical example I just shared resulted in radical, bold changes and transformations in the societies that they lived in. Baal and Jezebel were destroyed in Israel through Elijah's bold actions, bringing awareness to all Israel of who God was. It led to Jehu, who had killed Jezebel. Josiah restored true biblical worship back to Judah, tearing down the Asherah poles, cleaning the temples. 
Job's awareness led him to pray for friends, saving their lives, and resulted in the restoration of everything unto Job a hundredfold. Peter's encounter led to his partners, Yaakov, Yochanan, along with Peter himself, to immediately beach their boats and follow Yeshua as three of his tamid. They had become fishers of men and changed the course of human history forever. Now, let me pause here. Can you imagine? This is a dream catch. This is like finding the mother load, the, the biggest gold nugget ever, the silver stream in the mountain. For them, th- this would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars. This would have been the big payoff they've worked for their whole life. And what did they do? They beached their boats and followed Yeshua. They became fishers of men. Everyone within their lifetime, every one of you, if you haven't already, will experience your own individual awakening. You'll have a road to Damascus encounter. You'll have an awareness moment like Peter. Some here on this earth, some on judgment day. But again, as I shared earlier, Romans 14, 11 says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess when Yeshua returns. In every example, these people of God were faced with overwhelming, extreme crises from their society. Moral chaos, anarchy, enemy invasions, famines, human-made tragedies, natural calamities that gave the people fear, uncertainty, panic as their foundations of security and comfort crumbled around them. People begin to ask, is there a God? Where is God? Awaken people who break through and choose authentic reliance and relationship. Those who trust in Adonai excel and lead in these times of crisis. You see where this is going? Awaken people become relevant in their situations and surroundings shifting and changing history. Awakened people are motivated by a higher trust through an honest and intimate relationship with Adonai, which leads to bold, selfless sacrifice and service to God. Shaul Paul is another example who, after his road to Damascus awakening, this encounter radically changed the entire Roman Empire and the known world. Awareness awakens each one of us to the reality of something great or something more profound in our world. And and all these examples I've shared, it's all happened in times of great chaos and anarchy. We're aware that we're part of something profound, supernatural, a heavenly kingdom, something greater than ourselves, that we are children of God, that our destinies are intertwined, that we need each other for love and support. We are part of something greater, something beyond ourselves as ambassadors of the Most High God, that there's a larger picture out there, and we are relevant, and we are a part of it. When this happens, we begin to have a voice in greater society that people listen to. There are godly, biblical answers to the difficult questions. The Word of God is relevant today, and it's on target. And here's a profound key to this that so many have lost in the greater body. I've recently heard so many reports that believers are evolving, that the Word of God has evolved with them. The Word of God is infallible. It's absolute truth, and it doesn't evolve to conform to popular culture. It doesn't evolve to fit the narrative of what a minority group of people wanted to say. We, the body of Messiah, do not need to agree with culture to be relevant. We are to be in the world, but not of it. We stay relevant by walking, speaking, and living kingdom truth and power in the Ruach. We stay relevant by offering the hope and love of Adonai into every situation and scenario. We stay relevant by not conforming, but by transforming. Romans 12, 2 says, in other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the Alam Hazay to this world. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing and not kainosis, renewing, renovation, complete change to make new, refresh, to be changed into a new kind of life 
as opposed to the former corrupt state. We let ourselves be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. Staying relevant means we are influencers, agents of change and transformation in our society, in our community, in our nation, and in the world. When the mind is renewed, changed, refreshed, changed into a new life, free from the former corrupted state, one knows what God wants, giving an even greater awareness. Relevance is having a significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand, practical and social applicability. The opposite of relevance is obsolete, no longer serving a purpose. Yeshua gave us the ability to do so by being his tamid. In John 14, verses 12 through 14, Yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever trusts in me will also do the works I do. Indeed, he will do greater ones because I'm going to the Father. And in fact, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for something in my name, I will do it. This is what we who trust in Yeshua can and will do, all that he has done and even greater, even greater. Yeshua walked on the water. He raised the dead. He healed the dead, dumb, and blind. Yeshua boldly, profoundly, radically changed the world forever. And he said we would do even greater. All we need to do is ask in his name, and it is done. To transform our families, to transform our community, our state, our nation, the world. To transform the body of Messiah back into Yeshua's likeness. We are called, we're commanded to be Adonai's voice here on the earth, to serve him and fulfill his purposes. We've been given the responsibility of calling sinners to teshuva, to repentance, to proclaim the good news of forgiveness of sins through the death and the sacrificial blood of Yeshua. We're to carry out our assigned task and purpose by proclaiming his word and power, truth, and spirit, bringing awareness of the life and redemption Yeshua gave us all. Anytime the body of Messiah deviates from this assignment in the least amount, any distortion of the message, any straying from the mission, we cease to be relevant. We're not relevant when we join forces with political correctness, with moral revolution, when the body of Messiah condones sexual immorality, lawlessness, and conforms to the world by transforming it. We are not relevant when we're skeptical or void the dunamis power of the word that transforms individuals. Kingdom covenant transformation only comes by being reborn from above, not by emotions, feelings, are by being people pleasers. But this isn't coming to pass without pushback from the enemy. We experience a cancel culture today, coupled with religious persecution that's attempting to silence our voice. Caustic, vitriolic, and intolerant people who seek our end, who seek our silence. The darkness hates the light, but there is power in the words we speak and how we present it. The darkness tries to overcome the light, but it cannot. You've heard the adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Man, how many have heard that growing up? How many have repeated that to somebody who, who said something snarky to us or something that hurt our feelings? Probably more times than you can remember. And while it has good intentions, the reality is it couldn't be further from the truth. Scripture tells us there's tremendous power in the tongue and our words and what we speak. We have the ability to speak life or death. Words can hurt or words can heal. Words can tear someone down or edify and build them up. Thanks in part to these expanded lines of communication that we see in social media and text messaging and Facebook and Instagram, 
people are now more than ever likely to slander, to gossip, to tear each other apart, to rip us apart with hurtful words while hiding behind the obscurity of a computer screen. People will say stuff online that they would never tell you to your face. They would never speak it to a stranger. And yet they'll do this online. We must return to honor, to respect, and integrity. Change how you respond to others and on social media. We must speak with integrity. We must say only what we mean. And this ties right in with being relevant. To speak with integrity, to say only what you mean. Don't self-denigrate. Don't slander or gossip others. Use the power of your words to speak truth and life. Speak life and do so in love. Your words have the power of life and death. We speak those things that aren't as though they are. We have the ability to shift the atmosphere, to shift our environment, but what we say and what we speak. Be careful and thoughtful in what you say. Ensure that your words reconcile to Scripture. Your words carry great power, a force that can create, that can tear down, that can build, that can heal, or that can hurt. What we say is more dangerous than a bullet. A bullet can only travel three-fourths of a mile to a mile. Words of gossip and slander can traverse the world, while a bullet can only travel a short distance. What we say and how we speak, it can kill and damage and destroy others. Every time you open your mouth, it's an opportunity to bear witness to Yeshua and the kingdom of Adonai. Paul admonishes us to stay away from stupid and ignorant controversies, quarrels, and fights. He records us in 1 Timothy 2.23 and Titus 3.9. Ask yourself, how do I speak to others? Do my words edify? Are my words positive and encouraging? Do I have an issue in controlling my tongue? James 3, verses 5 through 13. So too the tongue is a tiny part of the body. Yet it boasts great things. See how a little fire sets a whole forest ablaze. Verse 6, yes, the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in your body that it defiles every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of our life, and it is set on fire by Gehinom itself. For people have tamed and continue to tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures. Verse 8, but the tongue no one can tame. It is an unstable and evil thing, full of death-dealing poison. Verse 9, with it we bless Adonai the Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the image of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers, it isn't right for things to be this way. Verse 11, a spring doesn't send both fresh and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Verse 12, can a fig tree yield olives, my brothers, or a grapevine figs? Neither does salt water produce fresh. Verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him demonstrate it by his good way of life and by actions done in humility that grows out of wisdom. That is what keeps us relevant in our darkened world today. Think of an area in life that you tend to complain about or do you speak negatively of. Challenge yourself to find a way to express gratitude, to show love, and to pray and speak words of encouragement and words of edification when you're tempted to complain and grumble about a situation. We shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and love not our lives unto death. They will know us as the Talmudim of Yeshua by our love for one another, not by bickering and arguments, not by backbiting, not by jealousies of each other, 
but by our true heartfelt love for each other. I pray that you're aware of the world we live in today, brutally aware, intuitive with discernment. I pray that you seek to be relevant in this world today and to serve the living God of Israel in power and in truth. Mishpacha, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.